Let's take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Sermon I've titled, What Type Are You? Hebrews chapter 1. I'm just going to read verse 1, as a matter of fact, and probably uh, won't even get a good start on verse 1 today. But I'm going to really cover three verses in the next couple of weeks at least and, and try to uh, just help you to see something about our Lord and Savior. See something about Jesus Christ, because it's very important for us. So in Hebrews chapter 1, we read this. God, who at sundry times and in diverse matters, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Well, let's pray. Father, I pray now as we look into your word, may thy Holy Spirit just take over, Lord. I am incapable, but I know that you are fully capable. So, Lord, take over. Be the one that gives understanding to each heart to perceive the truth that you want them to have from this today. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, as I told you uh, just a moment ago, uh, the title of the sermon is, What Type Are You? Now, that in itself gives us some thoughts. Now, I'm, I'm going to share an illustration with you. And I'll tell you this, if my dad were living, I would not share this, this illustration with you. And, and I know that when I get to heaven, he's going to be awaiting with the belt. <laughs> I have nothing to worry about because mom's going to be high-fiving me, okay? So, but uh, my mother passed away. As a matter of fact, it passed Wednesday, marked the 30th year of her passing. But um, when she passed away, of course, dad was home. I can remember uh, now, my brother Dick and his wife Lucy were so helpful the last two or three years of his life. But back then, they were living up north. And so, basically, I would go by his house just about every night. Uh, I'd stop in there about 7 o'clock. I'd been out making a visit or something like that, and sometimes 8 o'clock. I'd walk in the house, and he'd be sitting there with all the lights out. And um, the TV would be going. I'd, I'd look, and... Uh, I was aware that he, he didn't even know what was on TV. He was just sitting there, and he was crying the whole time. And so I, I can just remember going over there and seeing that uh, night after night. I'd uh, just go in and try to cheer him up a little bit or say things, talk to him, try to get him talking about something, you know, just to uh, get his mind switched around and all that. And he was, uh, you know, that went on for a few months, and I just thought, boy, he's not going to make it. If uh, he doesn't snap out of this, you know, and we, we talked about it. But then I can remember uh, some of his friends say, you know, Dr. Bloom, it's all right to start seeing uh, other people again now. It's all right to, you know, to date some ladies or something like that. And 
And one man, and he told me this later, he says, uh, my dad told me, he says, he said, you know what, you can love somebody else. You know, understand that when, you, when your wife died, it's till death do us part, and she's in heaven. You'll see her, and that'll be a great reunion, but you're not going to live as husband and wife in heaven. So I think that really helped him a lot. But he, the bad part about being the son, you don't want to hear this. Okay, you don't want to hear this. But he was looking a couple of different ladies. Now, the great thing about being the son was this. There was a good part to that. There really was. Because all of a sudden, they, were, they found out he liked uh, apple pie. Man, he was getting all kinds of apple pies, you know. And I, I was uh, uh, making sure I, I tested them so they didn't have anything wrong in them. Um, <laughs> so, so I can remember all of that happening, you know, just... Uh, uh, different ones were making pies, and they, they're making special dishes for them, and all that other stuff. And some stuff, you know, he'd be so thankful for them and say, "Man, I can't eat this stuff. Would you take it?" You know, uh, yeah, my wife would love that stuff. Uh, but but that's but but that's pretty well the is going like that. And then, believe it or not, this one said, uh, "What do you think of this one? What do you think about that one?" I, I think about asking, "What do you think about?" It? Now, now I've, I've heard teenagers do that, but I never heard uh, adults doing that, especially older adults, you know. And, and so my dad's asking me about this one and that one. And I said, yeah, she's a pretty nice lady and all that other stuff, you know. And he started dating one whom he married, Miss Irene. He, he, he dated her, and then they got uh, serious, and they ended up getting married. But there was one other lady in the church at that time. Now, I, I can get away with it again because she's with the Lord, too, so I don't have to worry about either one of them right now. Uh, but um, she went up to him and just said, everybody knew that when Miss Betty died, I was next in line. <laughs> That's the truth. She told him that. And I said, Dad, what would you say to her? I said, he said, I, I said, you're not my type. That's what he told her. You're not my type. Now, I can remember in high school, some guys say, hey, why don't you ask her out? No, she's not my type. Oh, yeah, yeah. You think she'd go out with me? You know, things like that. But my type, my type. Even girls would say that. No, nah, he's not the type of guy I want. All right. So the word type, and it, it had a meaning to her. Okay. And that, that, I'm just telling that story is that I'm just a son just saying, Okay. Please don't get me involved in that, <laughs> you know. But uh, that went on. That went on. But now, I use that as an illustration because it helps to really illustrate what I'm trying to bring out to you now. You say, oh, man, I, you use that illustration? Yes, I use that illustration. But see, we need a good definition of type as it comes from the Word of God. And you know, if you got down tonight, today, and you said, oh, I didn't get it written down or something like that, you heard it, nah, I want to go back on that. It'll be on our website tomorrow, okay? It may be there late tonight, but uh, it'll be back up there, and, and you can re-listen if you would like to do that. But I want to give you an idea of type here as it concerns the Word of God. Type is a shadow. It's not the substance. It's a shadow. For example, Noah and Lot were used by Jesus Christ in teaching on prophecy. 
as in the days of Noah. Remember Lot's wife? So Jesus used those illustrations in the gospel, and yet Noah himself was not the prophecy. Lot and Lot's wife, they were not the prophecy, okay? They were types in that uh, very situation. Simply, they were types, but not the actual prophecy. They are history. I think of another one. Joseph, we say he is a type of Christ. How is Joseph? How is he a type of Christ? Well, Joseph was sold by his brethren for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Would die on a cross as a result of that. Jo Joseph was sent to Egypt. And that one that they fled from would have nothing to do with them and uh, lied to their father about, uh, don't know what happened to him, looks like an animal got him. But that very Joseph would be their deliverer. Jesus, they sold him for 30 pieces of silver. His disciples said, we'll stand there, and one of them did take a sword out and cut off somebody's ear, and Jesus healed the ear, and then all the disciples ran, and they fled. They got out of there. Yet, with that cross, death, that burial, resurrection, he became their deliverer. He became our deliverer. He is the, the deliverer for all men. But again, Joseph is not Christ. He is a type of Christ. So again, I want you to get this down and think about this. Uh, by definition, I think if I gave you a definition of what is a type, a type, again, is the shadow, but not the substance. Uh, for an example, we said Joseph is a type of Christ. Jesus Christ, then, is the anti-type. other words, he is the substance. So he's not a type of Jesus. He is Jesus. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. Joseph was a type, but not the substance. So the similarity between type and antitype can never be perfect. I mean, Joseph, what a man. I mean, to go through all he did and stay true to God. I mean, to all the bad things. I mean, it just wasn't his brother sold him. God lied about, cast into prison. All these things happened to him. Yet, he stayed true to the Lord. Through it all, he stayed true to the Lord. And yet, as a type of Christ, just like Christ, uh, through all the persecutions, through the cross, even through the devil trying to bring him down, again, Never sinned one time, that, and he would be our perfect sacrifice. So, type, antitype. The type can never be a perfect match, because it's not the substance, it's just a shadow. Um, if you had this light up here, it's casting, cast my shadow off over here. Let's just say over here on the wall, I can see a little bit over there. Okay, you can shoot that shadow all day, it's not going to hurt it. Even if it's my same outline, it's not going to hurt it. 
Okay, it's just the tape. If you're going to shoot at me, have blanks. Okay, but now what I'm saying is, is that it's not the substance. So Jesus, and I want you to get this down, Jesus is not a type of God. He is God. That's what this first, these three, uh, first three verses of our text is about. He is God. And we'll see that when we get to that point. But now I want you to think of the events of these, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Uh, because without it, we can't be saved. Now think of this. In all of human history, there was only one that could ever, that ever did qualify as an acceptable sacrifice for our sin. Only one. Now, we could talk about Abraham. Oh, the man of God, Abraham. We could talk about the Apostle Paul. And I've said before, I couldn't shine either one of those guys' sandals, I guess. They had shoes. I couldn't shine their shoes. But, again, they, neither one, would qualify to bear our sins for us. They didn't even qualify to bear their own sins. And so, we needed a Savior, and only Savior, the only Savior was Jesus Christ. Why? Again, Romans 3, 23, for all, all is all-inclusive, have sinned. You know that word sin means that we just didn't make one sin. We have sinned. Him uh, not to do good, and doeth it not to him it is sin. The thought of uh, wickedness is sin, even the thought of foolishness, the Bible lets us know, is sin. And there's so many things the Bible lets us know is sin. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The measure is not against what, well, you know, I, I've done the best I can. I got baptized. I did this. I did that. So I should be acceptable. No. You have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. The glory of God is Jesus Christ. Understand that when he left heaven, he was a spirit, took on human flesh, but he also, also, he limited himself to only human flesh. That's why when he was talking about faith to his disciples and the mustard seed, and he says, uh, say this mountain, you can be removed and cast into the sea. If you had the faith of mustard seed, it could do that. Jesus could do that. We are where we ought to be as a Christian, and we ought to be in the walk that we ought to have with him. We could actually do that too by faith. Not because we're God. We're not. Only Jesus was God, but he did that in his humanity for us to see, for us to understand. Let me just use uh, one uh, portion that people often get mixed up in, in, in the Gospels. Jesus said, no man knoweth the day or the hour, but the Father only, <laughs> not, not even the Son. You mean Jesus doesn't know the day or the hour of the rapture? Oh, he does now. 
But in his humanity, he limited his humanity to not in the human form to know the day or the hour, yet he knew the Father. He talked to the Father every day. But that wasn't to be revealed through his humanity, but in his deity he knew. He knew in his deity. And so, Jesus, uh, we've all sinned and we've come short of the glory of God. And Jesus was his glory. He emptied himself of all that glory of heaven to come to be our Savior. To be tried, to be tested. He emptied himself of all that was when he was in heaven in the glory of God. Every angel wanted to do anything they could at his request, at his command, at his deciding. But God so loved the world. He did this for us. For all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23. For the wages, what we've earned, what we have coming to us, for the wages of sin. Isn't it interesting? He just said the wages of sin, he didn't say a big sin. Oh, if you, if you do these specific kinds of sins, then, oh, your wage is death. No, it's wages of sin. I mean, think about it. Adam, don't eat the fruit of the tree, and the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. How many times have you told a child not to get candy, and they got candy for it, it's time to eat? Okay, you don't kill them. Jesus, Never sinned one time. We do. The wages, what we've earned is sin, uh, is, is death. Final, complete separation from God forever in the lake of fire unless you have a Savior. That's why everyone born on this earth, you've inherited your parents' sin nature. Therefore, you are a sinner. You're born a sinner. You're born spiritually dead. You need a new birth. You need a Savior. And Jesus Christ is that Savior. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I call it what type are you? As a Christian, if you're saved, the type you want to be is a type of Jesus Christ who when he was reviled reviled not again as a type of Christ no we're not the substance we're not Christ but he tells us that he left us an example we find that in the word of God he left us an example So as Christians, Christian means Christ-like. We should be Christ-like. And so, what did Christ do? He went everywhere preaching the word. Everywhere he would go, he preached the word, he taught the word. Even when Satan tried to tempt him, he would use the word and say, it is written, it is written, it is written. He confronted 
the enemies with the word of God. We think of the Pharisees and those that were so against him and so hated him. And yet, the one said, Lord, what do I do to have eternal life? And he says, you know the commandments. Named a few of them. He says, yeah, Lord, I, all of these I've done for my youth up. He said, okay, sell all thou hast. Give it to the poor and come follow me. Oh, no. See, he had another God in his life and it was his riches. I mean, when you think about Christ, why would somebody like that want to follow Christ? Now, sometimes you'll have a church in town. And so this is the church in town, and this happened a lot with the contemporary crowd, okay? This church, boy, they're the contemporary crowd. They've got this big church. Oh, man, look at that. Boy, they have all this fun and everything else. Everybody's going there. They're going to that church. Back in the 50s and 60s, the independent Baptist church movement was growing. People went to that. I mean, we were naming sin. We were hitting everything right Squaring the eyes, between the eyes. I mean, we were hitting it, hitting it hard. Uh, out soul winning, out witnessing, out doing these things. Separation from the world. And boy, people are just excited. What's going on? You got part of it. But then the world gets in. Think of all of that now. that You have that Jesus, what happens? Well, he starts off, he calls 12 guys. After a while, he's got 70. He feeds 5,000. The next time he's feeding, it's dropped down to 4,000. Now, the 5,000 and the 4,000 were just men besides the women and children, but the naming, just numbering the men, let alone the women and children. So it's actually more than that. But the second time, it was less. Then it got down to his 12. And then it was just the 12. Judas goes to the uh, priest and, and, and he sells him for, for 30 pieces of silver. I'm going to deliver him. But Jesus still has the 11 with him. But when they get there and they say what's going to happen, even the 11 forsake him. So do you call Jesus Christ a failure? I mean, boy, he had 5,000 one time, he lost it all. No, people responded to all these big things that appealed to the flesh. Hey, he's healed people. They were thinking the healing of the leper. They were thinking the healing of, of the blind. They were thinking the healing of those things were, was the main, the great thing Jesus did. No, the great thing that he did was to save lost souls headed to hell. When you think, when you think that the, of the guy that was healed, remember the ones that were lepers, there was 10 of them. They all took off when he healed them all. But only one turned back to say, thank you. He said, only one. See, they weren't wanting a relationship with Christ. That lady that everybody scoffed, that was down on everything else, she came in and washed his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. Oh, why would a guy like allow a woman that low down, that, that, that immoral, no good for nothing? Why would he allow them to do it? Because Jesus saved her soul. Jesus saved her soul. Mary Magdalene, she'd had seven devils. She was a witch. 
what we'd call witchcraft today. Seven devils. God saved her soul. So who's the first one at the uh, tomb and sees him first alive? It's Mary Magdalene. Yes, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Look, you can have people coming in here. They can be tattooed from head to toe. They can have all kinds of different colors in their hair. And their clothes may not be what you think they should wear to church. I'm glad they're here. If the homosexual lobby walks in, sits down in this church, I'm glad they're here so I can preach the gospel and let them know that God can save them from that life and give them everlasting life. That's what we're about. That is Christ-likeness. He came to save that which was lost. So let's get off our high horses and be on the Lord's side. Are you a type of Christ? But then there's another type. Remember Goliath? He challenged the armies of God. Oh, he made fun of them, he mocked them, and then just a little teenage boy comes out there with a slingshot. And what happens? Well, that little teenage boy not only knocks that great big giant flat on the ground, he takes the giant sword and cuts his head off. But you see, now he's doing it in the power of God. Whereas the others thought of the, how we defeat this giant was in the power of the flesh. But the giant is a man of the flesh because he's the man of the world. The giant represents the world. He represents Satan. Satan had the armies of God living in fear instead of turning to their God with their whole heart. But you ever think of this, and I, I did this a couple of years ago, but let me just mention it again. David cut off that head. He got the armor of Saul. He got the sword of Saul. He took all the armor, gave to King Saul. From Goliath to King Saul, it went. He gave him the sword of Goliath to King Saul. The king got the armor, but David kept the skull. Now, I can think of things I'd want to keep, but not the skull. David took the skull, and the Bible records in, in 1 Samuel 17 that he carried it back to Jerusalem. Now, Bethlehem is very close to Jerusalem. It's about five miles, or maybe just a little bit more. But David didn't live in Jerusalem. He lived in Bethlehem. So why did he take it to Jerusalem? I can't verify this by the Word of God. Some things the Word of God doesn't let us know completely right now. But I have a tendency to see, say that there's a reason that we call it Golgotha, the hill of the skull. Not just because of the way it looks like a skull. I kind of wonder if Jesus' head was, I mean, if a glass head was buried there. And for this reason, he told Eve, 
It shall bruise thy heel, but you shall bruise his head. When he came off that cross, Satan was defeated. Our sin was paid in full, and the victory was in Jesus. But you see, Satan had a great, I mean, uh, Goliath had a great army. Oh boy, the army he had. Well, was that tremendous? But guess what? All those guys, I mean, they were laughing at those Jewish people, those, the Jewish armies. <laughs> the people of God, look at their God. Well, he does. God can't do anything for those guys. <clears throat> and all those people that abandoned God for the world. You read in other parts where, of the Old Testament, how the people of God started going over. And making their worship, making their life, making everything like the world does. What happens? God has to take them off into captivity. God has to punish them. He's got to do so many things to them. Jeremiah says, it's time to go back to the old paths. So what I'm asking you is this. Are you a type of the world? Type of what Goliath was? what all the world looks to, or are you a type of Christ? Directing people to the Word of God, directing people to the matters of the soul and eternity. So I ask, you died today. Do you know if you would die that if heaven is your home, Sometimes you have trouble with that. One day you doubt it, the other day you're sure of it, the next day you doubt it. You know what I'd do? If I was having doubts, I'd just make sure and nail it down and say, okay, I'm nailing it down right now. I know God doesn't lie. I'm giving him my heart and life right now, and I would just nail it down right there. But what about you as a Christian? You that are saved. Can you, as the Apostle Paul, who said, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Do you know you have that crown of righteousness or not? Crowns are for ruling and reigning. We, we read about five different crowns in the Bible. Do you have a crown? Are you sure? Can you, can you say biblically, I know beyond any shadow of a doubt, I have a crown. Because he's just not given crowns because you were saved. He's given crowns because... You obeyed him. His life, his will became your purpose in life. That's where the crowns are laid up. And 1 John 2.28 kind of indicates that. Of saved people, you're either ashamed or have confidence at his appearing. Because as the apostle, henceforth there's laid up for me a crown. So I put this out to you in two ways. First of all, if you're not sure if you died today that heaven's your home, make sure of it today. Make sure of it today. Don't play Russian roulette with your soul. This world is in such a mess. We don't know what's going to happen to the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year. 
You talk about all the possibilities of bad things that may happen to this world. You know, Jesus doesn't need foreign armies. He doesn't need nuclear weapons. He just rained down fire on Sodom and Gomorrah without any armies. You don't think Jesus can do something to America. God can do something to America if it doesn't repent. We've got to have a revival in America, and it's got to start with God's people in his house that'll get out there and no longer be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, never, no longer be ashamed of being separated from the world and separated under Christ, living a holy and righteous life in his sight. We've got to get to that point, or we're going to be much of the blame that America has gone another direction. Don't blame the political parties. They are what they are. They're of Satan. We're of Christ. We've got to get out there. We've got to have the gospel. We've got to give it. And we've got to do it without quitting. Our lives must be separated from this world, separated unto God with the holy purpose of bringing those people to Christ that they might have the salvation that we have. So my friend, let's make a decision today. That decision I want to be a type of Jesus Christ who came to save the world. Will you make that decision? Let's bow our heads, please.